Welcome to the Horsewise podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, on January 1st of 2024, I interview Amy Skinner on how to pick a theme for the year and how to know when to double down or to let go. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi everyone, I'm Lynn Reardon, the host of the podcast and head coach at Horsewise. Tonight I have an interview I recorded a couple of weeks ago, a little earlier in December of 2023, and I saved it for today, which is January 1st, 2024, because I thought it was so perfect. The interview is with Amy Skinner, who's one of my favorite horsemanship teachers and clinicians, just a great all-around person, and she and I share a very... um, odd sense of humor. Uh, We clicked over Facebook because of a mutual love of certain movies. And of course, I've admired her horsemanship work now for many years, as well as her writing and her online courses. At the start of every new year, I like to create a theme for the year. It can be a phrase, it could be a slogan, it can be a song lyric, it's a variety of things. And for 2023, I had selected an unusual theme, even for me, which started out as a discussion about how to determine when it's time to start over or to try a different approach with your horse. That conversation morphed into why I had selected the theme of McLovin as my theme for 2023 and whether or not I judged the year to have been successful by those terms. Uh, To my surprise, or maybe not so much to my surprise, Amy pretty enthusiastically chimed in with her own opinions on the theme McLovin, as well as how we can kind of view overall the results of a year in horsemanship. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as Amy and I did. And uh, by the end of the interview, I hope you have a really good understanding of why I had chosen McLovin as my theme for the year 2023. Well, hi, Amy. Thank you for coming back to the Horsewise podcast. I'm really looking forward to talking with you, and I appreciate your time because I know it's been a really busy, not only year, but month for you. It's a busy life, so you are welcome. I'm glad to be here. Well, I don't really have like a super compelling topic, but I did want to, I wanted to reach out to you to do this podcast because it seems like whenever we talk, it just goes in interesting directions. And I know that I'm kind of at this phase of the year, I'm usually kind of looking back on what were the patterns of some of the things I saw in the people I worked with or the horses I worked with, or where did I kind of change and grow in my horsemanship or or not, if it was kind of one of those years where I just regressed. And one of the things that kind of has come up for me this year, just to be selfish since it's my podcast is um, noticing when um, there's this fine line between you want to be committed to your horse and to your horsemanship, but maybe your horse gets to a stage where you need a little outside support. And by that, I don't mean that you need to send your horse to military school or anything like that, but maybe you need to change something, add something to your repertoire that you maybe haven't thought about before, or you might need to be a little easier on yourself. Most of the time, 
Um, I assume that I need to be harder on myself, for example. And in general, that, that can happen a lot in the horsemanship world, depending on, you know, who comes to your clinics or who you see. You might be helping people kind of kind of learn to, to, to rise up and be more confident about stepping into a certain kind of role for the horse. But sometimes it can be the other way, which is kind of an interesting conundrum where you might have to step up for your horse by stepping back a little bit by maybe taking a different perspective or allowing yourself to learn something a little different that you didn't think maybe you had dismissed before in the past or you hadn't considered before. And sometimes it's actually getting outside help, whether it's going to a clinic or maybe having a different kind of veterinary assessment or looking at, at your horse just again from this different perspective. So I just wanted to throw that out there as a potential topic. Um, I know that you travel a lot, you see a lot of different things and what you might think of that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I'm a person who is like very dedicated to studying and growing and learning. And what that turns into a lot of times is getting stuck in a rut, you know, mm -hmm. where I become very studious and I become very practicing. If that makes sense where like my teacher will come by and she'll tell me you need to do X, Y, Z. And so I'll do it until the cows come home, you know, I never quit right. doing it. Um, and so sometimes in traveling around and seeing other people's horses, I'm like, Oh my God, I need to broaden my horizons. You know, I'm seeing all these horses that are kind of monotonous and drilled and sort of doing what I do. You know, I, when I teach other people, I see myself a lot of times and, you know, there's kind of that saying that you see in your, you see in other people, what you need to do yourself. Mm -hmm. So teaching, teaching other people really helps me take a step back and look from a broader perspective of like, what is it that I do that isn't working? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes for me, the thing that I need to do is, you know, relax a little, have a little more fun with it and stop trying so hard. Yeah. Um, or sometimes the opposite is like, I need to speed up and do more, you know, like I, I ride with my teacher, Teresa, who's very meticulous and everything has to be like detail oriented and with so much focus on every step. And sometimes what I do is I take that and narrow it down and make it to where it's like so tedious. Uh, and then, you know, you ride with somebody else and I'm like, oh, cantering around on a loose rein is just friggin' fun. You know, I forgot. I forgot that it's just fun to go Yahoo around the arena and just let go, you know? So yeah, that's, that's kind of the year I've had also is just thinking about what I'm doing and where does this need to go? Yeah. And it's not so much, maybe I tend to start, start a year thinking, okay, I have this theme for this year and I have these, maybe these goals. Um, usually I have like three phrases or three mottos that I'll pick for the year and, um, and an overall theme, which I won't share with you because I don't, I don't know if you would get it or not. It's a movie. You're afraid reference. I'm going to make fun of it. That's why. I know. I know you will. You will make fun of it because that's the kind of relationship you have with me. It's like you make fun of me and I'm crushed, as you know. That's I'm right. Very, I'm very shy and withdrawn and uh, I'm very deferential at all times to you. So that's and I'm good. very abusive. You me, are. So it works perfectly. It does. It does. It does. It's working. It's symbiotic. It's working for both it of us. But, we both um, get what we need. Yes, exactly. We both get what we need. Um and almost inevitably, like you, I end up getting to where I thought I was going to be from the start in this completely different way. So yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, it is, and so I'll tell you what the theme of this year was to see how good your bad movie reference is. Okay. So the theme for the year was McLovin, 
I yeah. do know that one. That yeah. is, uh, why can't I think of the title? I can see McLovin's face in my head. It's yeah. uh, super bad. Super bad. I knew there was a bad in there. There's was, like, definitely bad, a bad yeah. in there. Yeah. And yeah. so um, there's and a bad throughout the whole movie, actually. There but... is a bad throughout the whole movie. <laughs> and I am not advocating this for anyone who is easily offended. But if you aren't easily offended, if you've probably already seen the movie, if you're not easily offended, um, I, my husband and I have the kind of sophomore background that that is one of our favorite movies that we pull out when we're feeling that we've been too grown up for any excessive length of time so right, I would do it yeah that and well there's many there's Step Brothers, which is another beloved uh, movie and in our in our household um that will because, regress you age-wise as well yes it's just where it is so anyway so I ended up thinking I'm going to have this very carefree relaxed approach to my work this year and instead of course it was the opposite everything was very serious it was very um, high stakes and uh, all the things and very demanding intellectually and physically. And I was like, what the hell? Like, this is not McLovin at all. But as I come into the last month of the year, I find that I'm very relaxed. And um, I don't know why I can't quite put my finger on it. But I think part of the reason is that I have a lot of difficulty taking the pressure off myself. So mm -hmm. I'm very good at releasing for the horses. I'm very good for releasing for the people that I work with. But for myself, I'll just kind of keep, you will be McLovin, like you are on a schedule and you <laughs> need to be fun loving right now. Let's and, make that a t-shirt. Uh, yes, yes. So so anyway, that's kind of just sharing that personally. And then the insights that come up are very unexpected, yet here I am coming into the last few weeks of the year and kind of McLovin and not, not in all the way I would have expected, you know? Um, so that's just where, where I came up with this topic too. This idea McLovin of life. McLovin life. And when do you let go? And when do you, when do you kind of, kind of drill down more? When I say let go, I just Ooh, yeah. relax and go with the cantering on a loose rein and enjoying just that moment. Um, and when do you need to sort of go, Hey, it's time to be very organized in my curriculum in how I educate myself and then how I pass that on to the people I work with and help. So that interesting sort of paradox is, of course, horsemanship's all about that. You know, just when you think you know everything, you come across that horse who's like, really? Hold my beer, you know? Right. I'm, I'm right. going to explain to you why you know nothing. And um, so I just would love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, yeah. You know, that's my well, my whole life right now is a runaway horse. You can put it that way. And I'm also McLovin at this point of the year. It's like, you know, I was uh, doubling down on every aspect of my life all year long. Like I'm going to study as hard as I can and be the best rider there ever was. And I'm going to be the best mother and I'm going to have the most organized house and I'm going to do a hundred clinics in a week. You know, what I mean? right, right. All the realistic goals. Yeah, sure. Right. And it's perfectly uh, expectable for me to be able to do all those things. And if I can't, then there's clearly something very wrong with me and nobody else. Right. right? Um, and, and that's, yeah, that's none of that has gone the way that I expected. I had like six clinics canceled this year. I'm, I remember being, what was it? Mid July. 
in the airport waiting for a flight to be rebooked with a toddler who was just screaming her eyes out and like running up and down the escalator nonstop. And by the end of the day, we'd been in the airport like 14 hours and I finally canceled the clinic. Cause I'm like, I am not hauling this child overnight on a red eye. Like you just can't do it. And it, the whole year for me has been full of, I can't do it. And I am a very capable person. I'm a very strong willed person. And I have hit over and over and over and over again, my limit, you know, of like, I cannot do this. And it has been really hard for me to accept that, but also very cathartic. I, I can't ride that horse. I can't get this kid on the airplane. I can't manage this, you know? And um, I think that's been very good for me because I'm a kind of person that will double down on stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good to have that in your wheelhouse. It's good to know, it's good for me to know that I can survive a lot. Um, but I've been forced this year to learn that I can't do a lot. And that hasn't killed me. And I'm McLovin' it up now. You know? <laughs> See? <laughs> At the end See? of the year, I'm he's, McLovin'. He's, he's always there looking over us. He's omnipotent, which is He really is. Cool. He sees yeah. you when you're sleeping. He um, sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> he probably knows when you're awake, too. Um, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. That's interesting, the hitting the wall thing, because that, that also was something that I didn't perceive it that way at the time that it was unfolding. But there were certain certain avenues that I thought would be open that were just dead closed. Yeah. And I'm really good at, I will try to go through that wall just on principle, like just whiplash that. I'm going to go through that wall. Yep. I'm not going to think of a way around it because that would be cheating. And what I found was that this year, for whatever reason, I was like, I can't go through that wall. Not this year. And I have to think of a different way or I just have to let it go. And when I did that, whether it was with an individual course or uh, a particular situation to do or teaching, whatever it was, um, I was better for it without it being one of those annoying Disney things. Like I learned to be passive. It's not like that at all. It was actually more about setting boundaries for myself in a way that made sense. And um, you think of setting boundaries with other people. Yeah. Right? That's usually how we think about it. But sometimes we have to set boundaries with ourselves. Yeah, because we're crazy. Because we are. Because <laughs> we're worse people, you know? And, uh, and so that's... And we will run amok without limitations. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's a given. It's called all or nothing thinking. And um, that's what yeah. forces do is they help us go, and that's a no. Like, that's a yeah. hard no. You can't do it that way. And so none of this was dangerous. I didn't have bad experiences with horses or anything like that. It was more that I was very determined and that has gotten me through a lot. I think I told you, Mm -hmm. I'm sure my listeners heard this before. I went through a period where we experienced four natural disasters in three years and Mm -hmm. we had to, we had to move into new places. We had, I had to evacuate horses in each of those cases, which is not fun, just so you know. And kind of like start over. And I was very determined, like I am going to not fall apart over this and I'm going to make this happen. So mm-hmm. I have that, I have that, you know, thing that you're talking about too, like double down. Mm-hmm. And um, if you throw me up against a wall, I am not going to stay on that wall for long. Like I don't, you know, I don't care who you are. Is it Satan? Yeah. I don't care. If you threw me up against the wall. I'm going to do what it takes to, you know, that's just my thing. Now, that is not, sometimes the horses come and they go, hey, first of all, it's not really a wall. Number one, you have that wrong. 
Right. Like you're not really up against a wall. And number two, you don't need to double down. You need to take a step back. So I don't know if that's exactly resonating with what you're saying, but it was it was very interesting in a in a way that was non-melodramatic, where I would just go, okay, I, I can tell I've hit the end of something. The end of the lead rope is here. Yeah. It's like when a horse bolts, you know, when I was in my 20s, I would hold on and dig my heels into the arena yeah. sand. I'm like, I am going to get this. Like, you're not going to learn to get away. Right. And then mm-hmm. I had so many horses through my 20s that had been very practiced at getting away that they would take the leverage that I was offering and bolt harder. And, you know, right. they get out of your hands so many times that you learn to give up. Like, we'll just start over. It's, it's not going to kill either one of us. You're already down there on the other end of the arena. I'm already in, in the sand. Like, what's the big difference? Just start all over again. And then eventually you get smart enough to feel the bolt coming and let rope slip out. And that's when you've like learned something that here comes the bolt. Don't fight it. Go right. with it for a second and regroup. And you're not going to die. You're not going to die if, you know, something in your life gets a little bumpy. And I think that this entire year has been a lesson in teaching me that. Just flow with it. You're not going to yeah. die. You know, you don't have to hold on. You don't have to try to look good. You don't have to look smart. You don't have to get it done. You don't have to do anything. But just sometimes just surviving it is good enough. Um and just big loving it up at the airport right. with the kid who's hitting That's, you in the head with something. Right, right. It's just exactly. Fortunately, I didn't have kids hitting me in the head, but um, that's because I don't have any. So I'm sure, I'm sure if I had kids, they would hit me in the head because that's the gene pool we're dealing with. So they do I, just, that. I just backed off that right away. I was like, no. I, I remember leaving after canceling this clinic at like 11 at night or something like that. Uh, I was carrying my daughter who is like twice as big for her age as she should be right like she's a a massive substantial child i had a suitcase a speaker with like a big pelican case so a rolling speaker a rolling suitcase a rolling pelican case speaker her car seat and i was carrying my daughter and her backpack full of toys i'm I'm carrying all this so i'm carrying her like in my chest right and she's hitting me in the head she's having a full-on meltdown because she's autistic the webs the the website the airport was i'm i'm having a meltdown the the airport was overwhelming for her all day long you know so she's just losing it at this point she's like 45 pounds she's hitting me over the head and i'm carrying all this crap out of the airport at like 11 p.m and we walk past this woman who's like i would never let my child do that and i'm carrying all this crap right and i remember having this moment where i was like the hell do you know and i just walked on and it was like so cathartic yeah. And I was like, you can't even imagine the hell I've been through today. Like, I'm in Vietnam right now, you know? Right, like- <laughs> right, right, right. I'm on the last helicopter out of Saigon at this moment. And I are criticizing care. my posture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I like, it was so amazing, Liberating. actually, to just be like, you know, I just got to survive this. Like, you don't go home with this child, but I do, you know? Right, right. And you Who cares them. what you say? Yeah, I love, love this them. child. Yeah, right. I'm not going to, like, beat her, no, you know? And, she can't help she- herself. She, yeah, exactly. She's not, uh, she's not misbehaving. No, she was losing it. Right. I mean, she's autistic. So that's an yeah. entirely different perspective, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I totally get that. And it's, it's interesting, the strength that comes from kind of the word I'm looking for is not quite letting go because I hate that word. I hate that term so much because it can mean a lot of things that are very sloppy and not what I, not, yeah. not quite what I'm looking for 
in terms of the phrase, but when you, I think release, when you release yourself from certain expectations and you yeah. follow what your standard is in that moment and you trust yourself, even though it may not seem, it may not seem like quote the right thing or the conventional thing to be doing uh, based on outside opinion, there is something very strengthening in that. Even if that decision involves something like stepping aside, yep. stepping, stepping aside is hard for me because I really like to uh, commit. I like to kind of be in there, but mm -hmm. sometimes I can, I can confuse being committed with, you know, holding on to that lead rope mm -hmm. and being drug. Like, you know, you're going to lose that. I mean, you know, kudos for running as long, as long as you can or trying to stay upright. But if the horse has got the angle on you, you yep. can't, you have to let go. You right. have to release that lead rope. And so there's um, a difference between putting a good effort forth and being a complete dumbass, you yes, know? Yes. yes <laughs> the holding yes, on to yes. the lead rope is like, <laughs> when am I putting a good effort in that's productive? And when right. is this like complete dumbassery? And that's the perfect epitome of horse training is like, there are times where your effort is not warranted. You yeah. have to let go. Right. And you're going to actually miss opportunities if you try to hold on to the wrong thing. I yep. was at a I was at a clinic one time with a good clinician. And now when I talk about clinicians, I rarely use their name because everybody gets all like whatever. But it was McLovin. A good yeah, or the yeah, opposite was, of McLovin. Right, exactly. So it was a clinician, it was a good clinician. And uh one of this clinician's assistants was working with a young horse, um, a Mustang that had learned to pull away. Mm -hmm. And and he had a very nice and very caring owner who um, perhaps maybe had not been comfortable setting boundaries. And now the horse was, he, he was just very skilled at that angle. So the clinician's assistant was working with, with this particular young horse. And uh, well, the horse got the angle because, you know, you can be really good, but if they get the angle, that's it. And then it can be very, it can be a matter of an eighth of an inch, right? Mm -hmm. Even less than that. So he got the angle and he's taken off. And that assistant, he is running his legs off. He is running. He's still got, he's got, he's got the, the popper like in his hand and he's running. And the clinician is like, you have to let go, let go. He's screaming across the arena. It's the voice of God. It's the voice of God. Let go. Like it is, he has the angle on you. That guy's running. He's like, I have been there so many oh times. And no. Uh, and I thank him so much. And uh, God love him. You know, he ran until he fell. And he then you just leave the state. You got to right. go. No. And, <laughs> and so the next day, you know, he comes out and uh, he's walking kind of funny. And I'm like, you're walking better than I thought you would. And he's like, well, there's still work to be done. So he went and worked <laughs> with that horse again. And so when I was just like, that guy was good. You know, the assistant was good. And the clinician, he's like, the clinician is one of these very skillful folks, right? Someone you would respect. Um, and he's like, dude, let it go. Like you could, you could be Jesus now. You cannot, he's got the angle on you. You could run. Yeah, that's hard to learn. Yeah. Well, this guy learned it that day. He was a he was a a, a really good guy, good hand and everything, but he really, really didn't want to give that horse a setback. He's like, by God, I will run till I die before I let this horse go. So anyway. Um, it's the same kind let, of thing. Let she who has not been drugged by a Mustang in public cast the first stone, right? right like exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I was like, dude, I've been, I mean, I, I, I just, you know, 
anyway, so same kind of thing. So that's always in my mind too when I think about that. And um, and it's part of the process, right? It's yeah. a mistake that people who are at the best levels and and just beginning levels make the same mistake. It's a well, if you don't have enough guts to hold on, where are you gonna get in life? And that's the thing, is is like, you know, I worry that we're becoming so much a culture of like if it's stressful then give yourself a break and you need self-care and you need this and that and this. And like, there's such a balance that needs to be maintained between having the guts to hold on and dig your heels in because that's what got you and I to the point of having anything. Right. But at the same time, you have to learn how to let go and relax some. Um, But, but I feel like you can relax when you've dug your heels in first. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you don't have the opportunity to relax if you only relax and then your life is unnecessarily hard. It's too floppy, too flimsy. There's nothing to structure, you know? So, um, there is, there is a balance. Sometimes you do dig your heels in and other times you need to learn to let out a little rope and regroup, but you can't, you can't just throw the rope, but you know, that's a problem too in horses and in life. But I'm thinking specifically of horses here some of my clients create a horse that bolts because anytime the horse resists, they let the rope go. And they're like, well, I don't want to teach him to bolt. And I'm like, well, you are. (laughs) If you just held on for a half second, that horse would stay with you. But now they've learned that it doesn't take anything. And now if I hold on, he's going to tear my arm out of the socket and break his neck. Right. Right. You know, because you're not letting go. (laughs) I remember this horse I picked up when I was like 27 when I was starting to feel like I was kind of getting enough experience, but also not enough experience to be good. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, I went to go pick this horse up and put him in the trailer. And every time he tipped, you know, you have the trailer opening and the horse will tip their head to the outside yes. and swing their hips away. Right. Like that's yeah. the like most classic, classic move in the world. So I would go to straighten him and he would sat back and bolt. And I'd be like, what the hell? I barely touched the lead rope. And so then the owner, this happened for like an hour. And I'm like, I'm pretty good at trailer loading. This horse is bolting kind of out of nowhere. And so the owner comes out and she's like, well, every time he does that, I give the rope and like throw the rope at him, like let it completely go. And I was like, well, you've basically created a horse now that is adamant. He should get the rope there. And when I hold it, he bolts. And she was like, well, I didn't want to stress him, you know? And I was like, well, now he's so stressed. He can't think straight. And he basically shut down and became really, really dangerous because he had never learned how to manage any kind of pressure. You know, anytime he, yeah, he never, so in trying to avoid the stress, she created a horse that was so stressed out. He couldn't think he couldn't manage. Um, and he was not getting anywhere near the trailer. And we ended up just making like a round pin panel shoot and putting him in the trailer like a cow. And that was actually a weird adjustment for me too. Cause at that time, you know, I was like, you know, if you can't get the horse loaded with a leader up and a flag, what good are you? And I wasn't able to get it done. I had to adjust. And it was kind of like a fail for me at that point. But really, it was a win, you know, that yeah. I was able to like, think of a different think outside the box, because, you know, you watch the trailer loading DVD, and here's how it done. Here's how it's right. done. And if you can't do it, you failed at it. And so that's when I really started to think of working more creatively. Um, but that horse sticks out in my mind a lot of like trying to avoid stress created a very stressful life for him, you know? So there's, there's such a nice middle ground between those two things. It's interesting to me, this idea of people think of a shutdown horse as being the horse who is bomb proof, really quiet, dead feet, dead head. But when horses are escaping constantly, that's a form of shutdown too. It's just, they don't think. They're not thinking the brain has closed. And what you did by going to the cattle panels is 
you change the sensory picture, the sensory picture that was associated with the trailer. Because yeah. now it's not about the rope. Now it's just about going into the trailer before yep. it was about the rope. And so you basically did a workaround with that horse's brain as if he had a little mini stroke in the area about the yep. lead rope. And you just said, it's not about that. It's about the trailer. And he's like, oh, and that's actually a much more creative training technique that is safer. The yeah. horse has to go into the trailer sometimes for the vet and everything. So now there's a tool and the yep. lead rope thing, that's a longer term deal. That yep. You have to kind of deconstruct and rebuild and so forth. But in the meantime, that horse might have to go to the vet. That horse might have to go, maybe he's going to you for training. Yep. So you change that picture. So it's not associated with the trailer, uh, the lead rope. He's yeah. Just, so that's smart actually. And I think the creative aspect, sometimes it can feel almost like a cheat to be creative and make it easier for the oh, horse. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it's not, it's not being like no stress. And that's where that, that conundrum comes in. Like I, I really hear you about maybe the culture producing this idea that we should never have stress. Like we should all constantly be in jammies or something, you know, and Which I, um, I'm not, I'm wearing my finest podcast I clothing. I know, which <laughs> nobody's going to see sadly <laughs> because I'm not doing the video. And um, so it's just, but at the same time, you have to change the horse's mind a little bit. Yeah. But sometimes if you're going to go into a straight out fight, you could be Jesus and Ray Hunt. And if that horse knows how to get the angle, it's not going to work on that lead rope. You have to change the picture. You so I've been, be I've been doing clinics for like 15 years now, something like it. And at the end of every clinic, there are horses. I know I'm like ancient who could live this long. So <laughs> I never thought I'd be 34. Jesus. I know. <laughs> but uh, I haven't been doing clinic for 15 years. My math is bad, but over 10 years, somewhere like slightly over 10 years. Anyway, 12 and a, 12 and uh, a half. Well, at least more than one year, less okay. than 20, more than one, somewhere in that range. Got so, it. so I have to add the, at the end of every clinic, horses don't load, right? Like that's a given. You're going to finish the clinic wow. and horses are not going to get in the clinic and or in the, in the trailer. And you're like, you know, you have these preconceived notions about how horses should load, but you don't know the horse. You don't know their history. You don't know the way the right. owner loads them. You don't know that they put 12, you know, little Debbies in the trailer to get to the clinic. And that's the way the horse always loads, but they ran out of little Debbies that day. And you're not getting the horse on the trailer. They're tired. They're stressed. Their husband and them are fighting. It's right. raining. It's getting dark, you know, and, and I've learned to be very flexible with trailer loading and to give up a lot to get the horse on the trailer. Because, you know, like I said, it used to be my halter and my flag and you're going to understand the lead rope and we're going to teach you the meaning of the lead rope. But there are so many times that it's like get a bucket of grain and cheat and put the horse on the trailer because you have to go home safely. And this horse needs to not kill me and crush me up against the side of the trailer. And your husband needs to not kill me for holding you up on the road for so long, trying to do it the purest way, right? Like you right. need to get on the trailer and go home and you lose sight of the goal, right? The goal is get the horse on the trailer and go home. Safely. Yeah. Safely. And the, tr the lead rope conversation is for another day right. where, you know, whereas the rigidity in me is like, we have to teach them. They have to learn something. We have to do it right. God but who's it. benefited? <laughs> me, yeah. right? Yeah. It's all yeah. about me at that point is I have to look like I know something when really the job is just to get the horse on the trailer. Who cares what I look like? It's about the horse safely getting on the trailer. So I've done the cattle panels. I've done the treats. I've done the whatever, like, what does your horse normally get in the, how'd you get him here? 
Right. Of course, your horse does. Your horse leads like uh, their horse doesn't lead. That's why they don't get on the trailer. My right. horse should not tweet, need 12 little W's to get on the trailer. But this isn't my horse. This isn't my situation. I'm away from home. You're away from home. Let's get you safely on the trailer. But let's do talk about a plan going forward so that this doesn't happen again. Makes sense you know, to me. And that that has been hard for me because I apparently might be a smidge mentally inflexible at times. It's been said. I don't know where that comes from. They're really rumors that I think are unfair. But occasionally I may get a little bit. <laughs> Crazy talk. Crazy talk. <laughs> I know. Did I mention the evacuations? So that, and I, I was never, you know my history at least somewhat. I've never been like someone who came yeah, the mental es- mental asylum escape was a really interesting part of that. I mean, it was a it was career changing for me, really. <laughs> and so, in so many ways, um, thank you for putting that out there on my podcast. That is, you're welcome. In sixty five countries, so thank you, Amy. Um, you're welcome. I, I never, think they have a right to know. <laughs> I do not. It's a lie, everybody. God, <laughs> they would have totally caught me. I'm way too public. So I never. I, never, uh, I didn't learn to ride. I was an adult. I never came through the traditional way of training. I sort of was drug kicking and screaming into teaching. And that's how I became quote a professional, but I have a real amateur's mindset in some ways in that I really understand when you get scared, I really understand when it's super confusing. And then Mm. because I didn't have, um, you could argue the rigidity of coming through professional, the normal professional trainer trajectory, I was always very open to, well, what does this individual horse seem to be saying? And how can I keep him from not killing me? This was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it helped me a lot because I did have those natural disasters where I understand when horses are really scared and stressed and you have to get them off. You have to get them off the property, in the trailer, either mm-hmm. way, hand lead them. One of the um, disasters I had, to, it was flooding badly, really badly. And I had to lead with uh, the neighbor's um, uh, ranch manager who was super nice, but didn't speak any English. So we're basically pantomiming to each other. Let's not get each other killed kind of thing. It was pitch black, mm. lots of lightning, lots of rain, big water coming. And we had three horses that had just arrived the day before that were injured from the track. So wow. we had to take them to the neighbors across high ground, crossing a large pasture that had a bull and many cows in it. And it was Oof. pitch black. So um, this sounds like a book. It was kind of book-like. And um, basically I was like, I'm going to have to be really calm because if this is, if I'm going to die here, I would like to be calm for everybody to say, wow, that was scary, but she was calm. And I also had some treats in my pocket or whatever I thought might be helpful. Like, it's like, I don't know what's going to, I don't know these horses. Two of them are mm-hmm. injured enough that they came off the track and, you know, we got it done and the ranch manager from the neighbors he was super calm super steady but if I had been all like this is how we do it we need mm-hmm. to lead correctly these horses one of them was very high strung and very nervous and I'm like let that one lead we'll follow that one because I don't know anything but that one I don't think about this horse's personality but this one clearly needs to be in front like and good luck to you sir you take that one and I'll take these two and that's what we did. So we're just kind of making it up as we go along. It was totally not pure. There was not mm-hmm. a good distance on the lead rope or whatever, but we got across that pasture pretty safely and um, and it worked out well enough, right? So that's the kind of thing that if I had been really like, okay, we have to do it just right. Or 
I think sometimes maybe you've seen this in individuals who are really rigid in their thinking, even if they're incredibly pristine in their technique, they fall apart when they can't be pristine. I might so, be a little bit like that. <laughs> not, not anymore. I don't think you are anymore. Because, yeah. because not anymore. So if you if you've been it's helping true. people, yeah, if you've been helping people load whatever way they needed to after a clinic, you know that you have to sometimes let go of that in order to really yeah. be safe. You have to be able to deviate in order to it's not just get the job done, but to, to maintain safety. I think that is something that, again, we don't want to go around preaching, hey, everybody, do whatever seems to make sense in the moment, like whatever you feel like yep. doing. But under extreme duress, you need to be able to adapt to that horse. It's true. I had a clinic uh, earlier this year that there was a horse that was uh, no pressure kind of a horse. Like the, the person had been avoiding pressure with the horse entirely and the horse had been crowding the person, pushing her all over the place. Um, you know, kind of nipping at her and moving her out of the way. And I went to correct this horse and asked them to go out and around me and the horse complied. But it was kind of like, are you sure? Okay, I'll fine, I'll do it. Um, and then the horse kind of got this dead look pan over the eye and then it leapt at me and latched onto my arm. And it happened in a flash of a second where I was like, the eye, I don't like that eye. And then all of a sudden this horse is latched onto my arm like a friggin' cougar flying out of the wood. You know, it was like, and I had this realization, like, this is not the time and the place to correct this. And what is this, what is this owner going to do when she goes home? Like, what is she going to do when she starts to correct the behavior with horse has been knocking her all over the place since he was a foal? Am I going to set her up to get hurt at home? And it, I had this huge realization that it's not about what I would do. It's not about what I like doing. It's about what works for her. So how can I help her learn to keep herself safe from this horse while correcting a behavior that has been going on for a very long time in a way that's very manageable, you know? And it was just a huge realization that like, um, what are the, what are the repercussions from changing everything over night and day all of a sudden, you know, this horse is latched onto my arm while I'm having these thoughts. <laughs> like, hmm, he's eating me. What do I need to adjust? You know? Yeah. What would the PowerPoint say? And let me just make a wild guess that you did not, in any way fight you didn't pull away or shriek you just took it right right no i didn't make a peep and the thing is too that the other thought that it has i do not want to scare this woman i don't want her to be afraid of this horse that's the last thing i want so the last thing in my mind is making a spectacle of the fact that this horse has eaten me you know like my arm is in his stomach as we speak right like <laughs> <laughs> so i just played it off cool regrouped talked to her about the new plan Perfectly normal part of horsemanship is when the clinician's bicep is partially digested very normal yeah that's right <laughs> really happens. the show must go on and the most important part is you must not frighten your student you know that you don't want them to feel like, oh my God, I own a monster. Like, you know what I mean? But you also do want to impress upon them the situation. So it's such a delicate line. Like you have a horse that will potentially attack you if you correct them. We know that now, right? I uh, stood my ground and asked for a little space and the horse re re retributed. What's the word? Re sure. Retributified. That's got to be it. Sure. That's Texas <laughs> right there. Welcome to Texas. Retributificated. That's yes, the one. <laughs> that was it. It was the fucated that needed to that's be there to make it correct. <laughs> but what did you, if you're comfortable sharing it, if you're not, that's cool too. What, how were you able to set them up going forward? Because that's, that's a pretty big one. 
Yeah, that is a big one. Um, so, so the horse had been moving her. So say, for example, she was walking side by side with the horse, the horse would turn and push her with her nose and she would walk away. And then the horse would basically follow her until he sort of just stopped and wouldn't go. You know what I'm saying? Like she had trouble leading him anywhere because he just basically was like, if you do make me lead, I'll push you out of the way. Like it was this always kind of ongoing threat. Um, and so what I had her do was I set up little ground poles and little cones so that she could lead, have like a, a barrier between the two of them where she wasn't pushing him out of the way at all, wasn't fighting with him, but it was like, go over here and then take frequent breaks, stop, but always stopping straight with like a little visual to look at and then quitting while they were ahead. So she basically uh, was not correcting him or pushing him out of her space. She was sending him to do something that was interesting because he was a smart smart young horse he was very curious and very interested in the world he just did not like being told where to go by her um he also was kind of like a cookie monster he was always like chewing on her and stuff so i basically just had her do something like do this don't just lead to and from where you're badgering him go to do this do it accurately and call it call it quit while you're ahead but having some physical barrier between the two of them was the way i set them up to do it so she could stay safe and that if anything got hairy there was something in between the two of them and would you ever in that situation say, I mean, it's so hard to say this, right? Um, which is why most people don't or can't really. Um, this isn't going anywhere good. Or what are your long-term goals with this horse? Because yeah, at some point, the ground poles aren't going to do it, right? So what's the long-term? Or do you just kind of let them let let the woman work with the horse at that in that way which is helping the horse but yeah. maybe not setting up and and I ask this just because there is that conundrum where you don't want to say to someone unless it's really extreme hey this is really bad like you I don't want you to get hurt or I don't want x y and z because you don't want to set up that brace yes you know um I trust your judgment on that. If it was the kind of thing where you you thought, hey, this horse really is going to hurt her, that you would have you would have figured out a way to do that. But um, I sometimes wonder because sometimes I think I can be a little too blunt. Where I'll say, hey, all things being equal, why do you have this horse? <laughs> Which is probably not the way to do it, you know. Because um, so I, I'm I'm curious because I want to to learn myself how to be from you how to be supportive in those situations right in, in the right way for yeah. the horse too right well in this instance she had a good trainer that I knew she was oh. working with who is there and so I didn't really have to that's great I, I just was able to talk to her trainer and give her some pointers and, and kind of um set it up so that she didn't feel like she was alone but right. but if I have a situation like that I'm kind of like dancing a line uh, you know, between like, do you understand the the gravity of the situation without scaring them? Um, I'm sitting okay. Okay. okay, I need you to be quiet now, okay? So, you know, if I, have a, if I have a situation like that, I might be like, hey, um, you know, I appreciate that you're working really hard with this horse. Do you have plans for getting some support or some help? You know, and here are the things that I would look out for. Mm -hmm. Here's what I think you need to be aware of. And here are the pitfalls of not cleaning those things up. What are your plans going forward? And what are your goals? You know, 
And that in that way, you aren't like, unless it's really, I have absolutely had people I pull aside and like, this horse is going to hurt you. I need you to take this seriously. And it's because I care about you. You know, I always right. preface it with that. It's not because I think you're incompetent. It's because I do not want you to get hurt. Right. You know, right. Uh, but if it's, if it's one of those things where, you know, are you aware of how dangerous and, and, and really in that situation, yeah, they aren't yeah. because yeah. usually they haven't pushed the horse outside the comfort zone. And when you do, you see what you've got. And that's when suddenly the horse is dangerous. And that's right. a long, tearful conversation. I think you have to have enough trust developed with your student to, um, to know, you know, you I'm can... laughing. I'm so sorry. I'm laughing because Josie was there, your daughter, and then the and Pearl appeared, and I, it looks like <laughs> Josie turned into a dog. So she did. I'm sorry. Okay. Josie I'm turned so... into a dog, and the dog will turn back into Josie in a minute. <laughs> okay. Sorry. But you were saying something really good. I'm sorry to be distracted like that. Um, there, Pearl, there's probably uh, something really wise and insightful that. But it was. It was basically like, are you aware <laughs> of this dangerous thing? And um, I, I think that's a really good way to put it. And that some people might not really understand that. And mm. and that there's sort of a diminishing returns to certain things. So, um, yeah. you know, with, and you could that you could look at a, a more, it's, I, I sometimes use the analogy, if if you have a situation where you need exactly the right tool, let's say you have a, you know, a sheared bolt and you have exactly the right tool to, to loosen that, that's the tool you need. Yeah. Rather than trying to work around it with all these other tools that won't quite do the job. And sometimes what that tool is, is, is outside help. Like it might be that you, you need a trainer or you need, yeah. To do something a little differently. So, um, you know, rather than, oh my God, like you can't do this. So I don't want people to feel like disempowered because a lot of people do really well with that. But there is this thing where the horses can cross a line if they are consistently sort of not permitted or uh, given the opportunity to experience pressure at the right time. And then yep. they end up kind of blowing through it. And I have another friend who's a clinician, um, really good one. And she talked about how she was working with this horse. This woman brought him, it was an inventor. And um, she took a hold of this mare. It was the same kind of thing. And she's leading her and the mare is kind of giving her the eye. And she said to the owner, she's not going to tolerate me doing this with her much longer, just leading her like this and expecting her to, you know, stay with me. And right at that moment, the mayor just erupted into this like satanic temper tantrum. And my friend was like, no, that's a no, no, you can't step on me there. And it was really interesting how she could feel that. And the owner was like, I know she's hot or I know she's difficult, but I didn't realize until I yeah. saw how she was with you, how delicate the line was. And so sometimes the clinicians end up being able to show the owners a little bit how fine yeah. the line is, you know, so... It's a dangerous situation though, because you have horses that are accustomed to a certain way of going and like you get into your routine and here's what we always do. Here's what we never do. And then you bring them into a situation of stress, you know, a group where you're, um, you're off your normal, um, you're off your normal property. You're off your, <laughs> you're, you're off your routine. And then you're also being asked to do things in a different way. And so it's really showing what your ability to learn is, what your ability to, to stretch is and what your tolerance for, like, do you tolerate boundaries? Do you tolerate uh, discomfort? Do you tolerate, um, 
you know, straightness, like what do you tolerate? And the, the clinic really brings out a lot of those things. And so, you know, it really shows you what you've got at home and that right. can be very humbling, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's, you know, you're also helping the people to understand when it's important to dig your heels in and when it's important to kind of step back for a moment and, and look at it from a different perspective, you know, for safety, but also for the horse's uh, future, uh, yep. the, t- helping the horse learn differently um, is important. And that means that you're going to probably have to change something in how you've been presenting or the routine or whatever. And that, that can be hard for people because we all have our, our cognitive map of how the world is right. And horses mm-hmm. are a big part of that. And what we do with our horses is very personal or so it can feel almost like um, an attack on your entire worldview. Yeah. When someone says, you know, your horse is a little spoiled. That yeah. can be like, Oh my God, like I have, I have created this wonderful, um, you know, ideal horse. And you're telling me that he's spoiled. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't handle that, even though he just, you know, crushed a cat to death or whatever it was, you know, it's yeah. just something that is very personal. It's painful for people, even though it's not how it's being presented by the teacher. It's just this very matter yeah. of fact thing. So it's very, it feels very personal. And, you know, like it's one of the reasons I ride with one of the many reasons I ride with Brent is mm-hmm. when I take my horse to a clinic, cause I ride by myself. I like to be alone. I don't like being around other people riding. You know, the last thing I can imagine being fun is riding in a group. But when you do ride in a group, it really shows what you've got, you know? So I take my personal horse to ride with Brent every year in a group of like 12 other people. And I really get to find out what I've got with my horse, you know, horse gets into a little hot water. They start getting a little flustered or they start getting a little irritated with me or they start pawing at the trailer. And it never feels good to be told what you haven't done a good job at, but it is so important to know it. And you know it in a group setting at a clinic more than anywhere else, you know? You do, <laughs> like, you do, you do. And yeah. here's me, a trainer in front of everybody with my horse pawing at the trailer or whatever it, it, the case may be, but I need to know it. And you don't always know it until you put a magnifying glass to it. It's true. And then as teachers, it's really important to, it's twice as important to keep growing and learning and, mm-hmm. you know, putting ourselves through that because once we stay static and really committed to our image of being perfect, we're really up a creek, you know? Yeah. It's the worst thing you can do as professionals worry about your image. And I I think that it's where so many professionals get stuck as they become so enamored or obsessed or concerned or anxious about their image that they get, they get stuck there and they can't progress. And I think the best thing that has ever happened to me as a professional was looking like a monkey's ass enough times to just let it go. (laughs) Monkey, monkey's ass is, is very vivid and I think not 100% accurate. You haven't been where I've been. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the best thing that can happen to you is to just look at like an absolute failure and survive it, you know? Yeah. But yeah. you just, you stop caring because it just can't matter anymore. Right, right, right. And yeah. If you really care about your horses, you have to kind of let go of how you look. So, and that can be really hard for some people who are professionals. I, I'm really, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this right now. So I went to all this trouble to detangle my headphones um, so that they wouldn't look like yours, but that's how mine look all the time. So uh, for my listeners, Amy Skinner has her, her, uh, 
earphones like all tangled up yep. and um, I'm judging her for it I'm calling her out and I'm so glad that I don't so and you know what I'm McLovin I don't you care you're McLovin <laughs> McLovin <laughs> it up right it's right it's right you're gonna be doing donuts in the police car by the end of the uh, week or something Ain't no thing, baby. I got a fake ID. <laughs> That's right. That's right. From Hawaii. Yeah. From Hawaii. I'm like, what, 32? Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. I got to put this thing on real quick. No problem. Somehow we put football on. Look, here's Peppa the pig. <laughs> Sorry. We need to avoid the catastrophe. No worries. We're coming. Okay. We're pretty, pretty close to probably our limit anyway. Yeah, it's it. becoming the witching hour. Yeah, exactly. I can see. I can see the the tension is growing on your headphones. You're being pulled. <laughs> Hang on one second. Here, do you want to watch a Dino show? I do. You do? Come on over. I don't know. Yeah, let me just talk about North Carolina. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Are you sure you want to watch it? Probably not. All right, Josie, I need you to be quiet now, okay? okay? I'm almost done with this call. Go get your water out of the sink. Okay. Here's your remote. Take care of it. Yeah. I need you to not talk for a little bit longer, okay? Not likely. Not likely. Sorry. Not likely at all. Not likely at all. Yeah. Well, let's just wrap this up then with kind of circling back to McLovin like you just did so brilliantly with <laughs> the, the comment about your headphones. But overall, I think maybe... What's helpful for me for this discussion is just the reminder that I feel like I don't do, I don't have like a very high profile kind of career or whatever. Most of my work is done with a charity and I do some work with individuals, right? It's enough to keep me frenetically busy, but it's really interesting to hear from you who you are literally traveling the world and working with so many people and yet the principles are the same that at some point we all have to deal with this, this idea of when do you double down? When do you McLovin? And you don't McLovin without putting the work in, right? You can't go right to McLovin. There is a sort of a process to get there. And sometimes that isn't what you think it's going to be, you know? I Um, mean, at this point in my career, I am doing a podcast in my bedroom with my kid having a fit in the background, drinking wine in my pajamas with tangled up headphones. Nice. And when I was in my 20s, I would have died before doing that. You know, I would have been here with my like button up shirt and trying to sound smart and interesting. And, you know, you dig your heels in so that you can let them go. You know, that's right. That's right. Exactly. And I like to think that I have provided an appropriately supportive and unprofessional platform for you that you feel comfortable <laughs> being here with your tangled AF in your pajamas you know she doesn't look like she's in her pajamas folks she looks like she's in a very respectable concert t-shirt it's my simpsons t-shirt all right there you go it's got math in it it looks like it's math t-shirt yeah Yeah. it's the simpsons it's the simpsons yeah see that's that's highbrow right there come on that is that's what i learned about all of my like cultural references like citizen kane i learned about from the simpsons and heart of darkness and all of the great american novels and yeah, Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Simpsons is a great show. It was a great show. Uh, it uh, it basically raised me. So thanks, Mom and Dad Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we have our ending note. <laughs> 
This has been a very serious podcast for everybody. I hope everyone's taking notes. As is tradition. McLovin and the Simpsons. That's the words of wisdom we leave you with. That's right. (laughs) Well, Amy, I really appreciate it. Thank you for for sharing your time and your family with us, your family time. Because I know it's valuable. And you don't have a lot of spare time. And I got a lot out. I took a lot of notes because it's just something really interesting to me to to listen to some of the conclusions you come to after a much more traditional journey in some ways, right? Versus me. And uh, so I think my listeners will really appreciate that. And I will make sure they know how to reach you and be ready to ride in clinics with you and see your tangled headphones for themselves in person. (laughs) (laughs) And be prepared with lots of Simpsons references. I think that's important that people prepare for your clinics appropriately. You know, I uh, when I went to Australia, I threw down all the Australian Simpsons references that I had in my belt. And I was like, these people are either going to throw me out of their country or love me. And they loved me. And it was perfect. So that's how you win my uh, favor. <laughs> that's so cool. I, um, yeah. I was recently talking to someone from Australia and she said, I'm mesmerized by your accent. And I'm like, <laughs> you I, have I, don't, accent. I don't have an accent. I'm like... <laughs> She's like, you should come to Australia. And I'm like, done. If that's all it takes to impress you people is this mid-Atlantic flat accent. But she was like, it, it's amazing. She was just so intrigued it by it. It was like, pretty fun and funny to be the accent in a foreign country, right? Like like the I'm the, the foreign clinician that costs more money with the accent. <laughs> like, like it's me. No, that's it's so me. cool. That's it was so, so cool. weird. Yep. That's just my voice. It's my normal voice, but it's an accent down here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, cool, Amy. Well, take care, and we will definitely be talking again soon. Uh, For my listeners, Amy and I are going to try to do a podcast every quarter, every three months or so, uh, depending on her schedule. And, of course, mine, which is very busy with all of the Australian demand I have for my accent. (laughs) Um, So so if, if my listeners especially have questions for you and so forth, I'll make sure they have an opportunity to get them to you. So sounds good. Thanks for Great. having me. Thanks. Take care, Amy. Good night. Okay, bye, you Josie, too. Josie and Pearl. Bye. All right. Bye. I hope all of you enjoyed listening to me talk with Amy as well as to her daughter Josie and their dog Pearl uh, during this pretty entertaining and fun discussion. I am going to be releasing what my theme is for the year 2024 a little later this month, probably within a week. Stay tuned for an update on that. And also for the next date that I will be interviewing Amy in 2024. As always, thank you for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day. If you're stuck on what theme to choose for yourself and your horsemanship goals in 2024, drop me a line at horsewisecoach at icloud.com and I will give you my little process step-by-step for how I pick my theme each year.